This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal Street. From race to adventure, custom to naked, look no further than Renthal Street for handlebars, clip-ons, chains, and sprockets. This Paddock Pass podcast comes to you from the midst of the MotoGP summer break, and we're more likely to see riders half-stripped and ripped rather than full on the gas and ripping, but we got a special rental street session interview for you this week, as Neil secured some time with Dorna's new CCO, Dan Rossomondo. I'm Adam Wheeler, and I'm joined by Neil this morning to quickly introduce this show. Uh, Neil, where are you? I'm in Barcelona, Ed, and I believe that you have got out just in time because uh, in the last two days it's become stiflingly hot and humid. Um, to paint a rather unedifying picture, I was actually just sitting in my pants before we started this call, but I've had the decency <laughs> to pull on a t-shirt just, uh, just while we're doing this. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty uncomfortable, I must say. Well, I mean, you know, if you're sitting in your pants, then you're like, as we said at the top of the show, like most MotoGP riders at the moment, um, I, I'm not sure you might have the, uh, kind of muscly torso that most of them have though, Neil, although you are working on it from what I understand. Well, you know, yeah basically sitting on my bum for the best part of a month during June. So, uh, yeah, I've tried to be a little more active uh, this month. But where are you at? Um, well, normally I would be suffering with you in the heat in Barcelona, but I'm in the UK at the moment, um, just kind of coordinating some kids' activities with being the summer break, uh, you know, very much for the children from school. But um, this weekend I'm actually heading to the 30th Goodwood Festival of Speed um, for people that don't know so much about this event it's um it's pretty big um over four days they gather a lot of old historic formula one and motorcycle motorsport kind of icons or important machinery and they race up the uh the the hill they have at the goodwood estate which is right on the southern coast of england and um you know as was said it was the 30th anniversary or is the 30th anniversary this weekend and there's quite a lineup there's a special there's a bigger MotoGP contingent than usual i mean you've got some legends names like mick do and casey stoner uh, you know wayne gardner freddie spencer and just to name a few and then there's some official teams uh you know i think rebel ktm are there gas gas factory racing are there ducati of course pekka bagnai is going to be there over the weekend so it's quite a big deal I was reading about it and apparently they get like, um, you know, over 200,000 people um, across all four days of this festival. And it's sold out every day for Friday, Saturday and Sunday. I think you can still get tickets on Thursday. But it's a good chance just to people to walk around in a very posh setting. I've never been, so I'm kind of looking forward to going for the first time. Um, I've got to produce a small sort of story for The Telegraph about it. So, uh, yeah, it should be quite good. And also, Ducati UK have given me the loan of a monster SP to ride down there. So I'm praying... uh, well, crossing everything that I have that the British weather is, um, you know, going to be reliable. Well, listen, Dan Rossomondo then, um, almost 15 years with the NBA. Um, he's holding the position, or he was holding the position of senior VP of global media, uh, global partnerships and media. Uh, also spent time with IMG and also time Warner Global. Uh, he was presented to the press, you know, as the new MotoGP CCO back in mid-April um, at Cotter. Um, his appointment was significant for two reasons. One, because, you know, he replaced the outgoing Manel Arroyo, who for the better part of 20 years at Dorna had been kind of manhandling the tiller, you could say, when it came to their media output, um, you know, basically a lot of their activities also in a commercial sense. The second reason being that he's, you know, one of the, he's a non-Spanish appointment. 
Um, you know, and very few of those at the highest level of management in Dorna. And it also shows that they're trying to think perhaps a little bit more globally. I mean, we sat down with him, Neil. I mean, I think his exposition when he was talking to the press was pretty impressive. He certainly can talk the talk. But, you know, when we spoke with him, I think it was at Mugello, what was your thoughts? Yeah, um, it was it was interesting. Yeah, he was obviously telling us what his uh, what his brief is coming into to MotoGP from the NBA. I think thirteen years there, um, his idea is try to take the sport to the next level commercially and try to open up some commercial uh, arrangements in maybe places where the sport hasn't had great success before. Um, and yeah, I think we spoke to a guy that still is, um, has got a few ideas on, on where to go and um, is pretty impressed actually by just what um, what the MotoGP spectacle is. Um, I think, you know, a year ago, we were sort of worrying in the first post year of uh, MotoGP after Rossi retired, where the sport was. A few disappointing attendances. Um, I think certain... Um, Markets were not performing that well in terms of TV audiences. Um, but, you know, a year later and things seems to be a bit different. Um, you know, we've had sterling attendances in Jerez, in France. Mugello was um, not amazing, but it was better than last year for sure. And then Germany and, and the Netherlands were sellouts pretty much more or less as well. I think we had more than 100,000 uh, through the, the turnstiles on the Sunday at Assen. So... You know, as Dan was saying to us, and as you're about to hear, um, you know, the, the sport has a lot going for it. Um, and maybe there's more going for it than he was expecting. And maybe it's just about how to, how to present that and how to make that something that attracts, um, media from all around the globe. Um, and, and, and you know, will, will be shown on, on, you know, social media channels, on news channels. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting to see where he, plans to kind of take it i think also it's worth pointing out that he didn't come from formula one you know he hasn't come from nascar he's not from the motorsports world so i think he's been very much in awe of what he's seen about MotoGP and what he's learned and maybe the outside perspective has pros and cons and you know i guess we'll see you know what he can actually bring and maybe there's quite a bit of pressure on his shoulders to actually bring something certainly from an american perspective in the american market and this is what we were trying to ask him in the interview also things like you know uh, as we're seeing around the discussion involving the likes of jake dixon and the uk um, MotoGP has a very um, important and lucrative uh, broadcast partner in TNT Sports now. Uh, used to be BT Sports, and you know, having a British rider or having a particular rider or nationality on the MotoGP grid, how how fundamental is that to spread in MotoGP's reach? I mean, there are little questions like that we wanted to throw to him, and. To be fair, I, from what I can gather, Neil, from what we've seen, he's done quite a few interviews, hasn't he? He's been talking, he's been, um, you know, he's been put under the spotlight, I guess you could say, by some some of the endemic media in motorcycle racing. He seems to be handling it pretty good. I mean, he he he's he's aware, isn't he? He's switched on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think he's aware that um, he needs to to be quite present in his position, um, and he needs to try and explain his his vision um from some things we've been reading on online and uh in, in interviews that he's given he definitely is looking at the american market as somewhere to, to try and grow the sport um to try and gain some commercial connections there and to try and boost the profile of uh, of america i think if you can have success there then you know a lot of other markets almost fall into place behind that um and i guess there's a an interesting 
thought about you know where MotoGP is in the next two or three years in terms of how its broadcasting is arranged and you know whether we'll see another kind of MotoGP Unlimited type series which will try and take the sport to I guess the middle ground you know and we obviously tried that experiment with MotoGP Unlimited didn't have the best success and now it's looking to you know, uh, obviously that's a, a tried and trusted package now and you see it in so many different sports. Maybe that's somewhere that, um, you know, Dan would have some expertise in, in, in understanding what would be the best way to, to try and package a, a kind of TV series like that um, for, for the future. So, yeah, some interesting things I think uh, could be in the pipeline. And also it's important, isn't it? Because people might look at this podcast and think, why would I want to, you know, listen to an interview with this guy? I mean, who is he? What, why do I have to invest some time listening to what he has to say? And the truth is that he is now going to be one of the guys who steers the direction of MotoGP. Okay, he might not be at the forefront of decisions when it comes to the sprint format, but then he will be... Uh, instrumental you could say in how people are going to be watching or enjoying MotoGP in the years to come so I think you know his perspective or his philosophy is is worthwhile I think so yeah um and speaking I'm not I have to admit the biggest fan of NBA or basketball but um speaking to one or two people that are pretty invested in that and they really spoke highly of how they presented their package how they um did their TV coverage how they built rivalries between some of their competitors some of their teams um and how that was all sort of put together and presented on the internet on social media and like little teasers to try and get you enticed to watch the the upcoming game or the upcoming playoff final um so yeah you kind of wonder if um if that might uh, also um you know translate to what we what we have in MotoGP as well so um, yeah, I think there's a, there's a couple of nice insights um, and yeah, it was a, an interesting chat. Anyway, on to the interview. Uh, we'll have a few more in store in these coming weeks. Uh, Marco Bezzecchi, Carlos Espaleto are talking about how he actually makes a MotoGP calendar and how he brings it all together, as well as Juan Mir. Um, we'll try to uh, make that as uplifting as we can. Hopefully there'll be some kind of positive uh, vibe about being an official HRC rider, you would think, uh, in the build up to Silverstone. Um, we'll also be reacting to any MotoGP news breaks with our Patreon shows. So if Pedro Acosta's contract finally gets sorted before we get to the British GP, I, I, I don't think it will be, but uh, certainly we'll do a quick show and discuss those. So let us know what you think of this podcast. And if you have any questions or queries as we move forward, importantly, also a British Grand Prix live show, uh, react to our tweet that we'll put out or send us a comment wherever you get your podcast to let us know whether you'll be up for joining us for some bench racing and bands and some trivia. Can you defeat the monolith of Grand Prix knowledge that is Neil Morrison? Let's see. Until next week, thanks to Rental Street. Check out rental.com for every key accessory for your street bike. And thanks for listening. Renthal Fat Bars are synonymous with off-road world champions. The Renthal Street Fat Bar draws from decades of experience to create the ultimate 28mm handlebar in a range of street-specific bends. Whether you're looking to alter the height, width, rise, or sweep of your handlebar, Renthal Street Handlebars offer a bend to suit your requirements. Use the WorksFit Handlebar Comparison Tool at Renthal.com to find the perfect bend. Dan, um, I guess the first question to ask you, slightly interested to know, when you sort of joined Dorn and took this position you're in now, what was the uh, the brief you were given? Were you given a, a brief as such to kind of some things that uh, they wanted you to look at, achieve in the years to come? I think that um, the brief I was given is evolving. I think the brief I was given is that we want to 
um, take this sport to a next level commercially. So, and how do we have to do that? And then that's where it gets a little bit gray. Like, what's the, what exactly is the roadmap? We're figuring that out together. But it was to try to take some success from other places and um, work on the various parts of the business and just improve the commercial, optimize the commercial business. That was pretty much the brief. We obviously had a chance to speak to you in uh, the Circuit of the Americas um, when you were revealed to the, the media. And Grand reveal. Exactly, yes. And uh, you told us then that you were a pretty decent student and in the first couple of months you were going to study oh, yeah. your surroundings and see maybe if some things could be tweaked or evolved. I guess you've been in the job now just over a month. Two months. Two months, yeah. Um, what have you been able to study in that time? Yeah, I would say um, the best part is that I've studied the sport a little bit and while I'm no by no means an expert. I uh, The sport is fantastic. There's a wow factor to the sport that has given me a lot of comfort. So I've learned a bit, a bit about it. I will never be a technological expert in terms of the sport, but I can now tell you what a chassis is, which is good. Uh, like where I can now tell you what the different, and all the, obviously all the manufacturers and what they're um, trying to achieve in a, in a lot of ways. But I think what I've also learned, frankly, is that there is a tremendous opportunity there's an opportunity to um, expose this sport to a wider audience. A lot of people ask me about, you know, modernizing it or Americanizing it or whatever. And I'm like, no, I need to amplify it. I need to amplify this sport. I need to get it out to more people as possible. That's the real goal. Now, how have you found the international scope of the sport, Dan? Because, I mean, if we if you cross-compare it with Formula One, where there's a, a very much a UK basis for that championship, here it's much more diverse, Southern Europe with a heavy emphasis. Does that, does that make it slightly trickier to market or to, you know, to spread around? You know, so I get this question a lot because we talk about, you might ask about what's our goals for the US or the UK, and people always ask me, do we need Americans on the grid to be popular in America. And I said, you know what? I don't know. A lot of Americans go to Florence and they go to the Uffizi. There's a lot of Italians on the wall. No one complains about Italians on the wall of the Uffizi. We put the, isn't it the best artists in the world, right? The best. So we put the best riders on the grid. I don't think it's, a, I don't think so because I do think that, um, what, if there's one thing that has happened in this media world where everybody can individualize their viewing, is that the best rise to the top. So I think if we continue to push and get the best riders on the grid, I think that people will be attracted to it. And I think there is a, the world's getting a little bit closer together. So borders are very important, but they're also shrinking in terms because of the digital landscape. So we can expose people to a wider array of opportunities, whether it be our Southern rider. Listen, we're doing really well. So I can't, I can't complain about the rider makeup. You were talking about amplifying the product that we have to a global audience. I mean, what what kind of things can we do as a sport to take it a little bit further, take it to new audiences, new people? There's so many answers to that question. And if you if I opened my iPad and showed you my priority list and my task list, it'd go to about 126. Um, one, I think we have to... Um, I think our sport is tailor-made for this young audience. I mean, we're going to see a sprint, sprint race today, which is, what, 25 minutes long? Perfect. Perfect. Tomorrow's race, 45 minutes long? Perfect. Great. Great. So it's, it's about, it's a good, it's a group and solid base to work off because every sport would love to be our length. Every sport would. So we've got that going for us. We have to do it, though. In order to widen the appeal, we have to get out of the 
main markets that were uh, the main media channels we're in. We had to break out of the motorsports market. We had to both cultivate our existing endemic fan base, um, our endemic um, writer base and media coverage. Like we had to be more uh, um, present in the motorsport community. We also have to go to general sports and general entertainment products because we aren't just competing with motorsports. We're competing for an entertainment share of mind. And that's a real challenge. So I want to get us out of just, I want to do some breakthrough media where we're really um, exposing the sport to a different audience. And I think once the sport is seen, it's pretty it's pretty addictive. Yeah, I think once you have people inside the circuit, then the, oh, you no, don't have sorry. to sell too much, but then that's, it's actually yeah. getting people to the circuit. Uh, I mean, like, listen, if I could just get, and I keep to every email I end with is, please come. Please to, to brands, to media partners, please come. Please, and we have a couple of good part, couple of good people here this weekend who are going to see see it for the first time. And I just know what their face is going to be like. I know what they're going to see. And I, because I, I'm that person. I just saw it eight, seven weeks ago for the first time. And I, I was that person who was like, listen, I'm a little bit biased because now I work here. But it was, it's hard to fake the emotion you feel when you see it. So. Dan, is one of the hardest parts of your job getting a read on the media landscape and how things are going to change in the next couple of years, you know, how people are going to digest MotoGP? I mean, that must be hard to, you know, foresee and then also, you know, uh, generate revenue and commerce from it. I think it's definitely one of the challenges that we have. It's also one of the opportunities, though, because it's a challenge knowing sort of where customer habits or consumer habits are. But the best thing that I know is that really exciting content is going to find its way places people are going to search it out so we have a way to sometimes we can both utilize our legacy media to attract really big audiences and commercialize that but then we can also use the beauty and the um what i like to call the um, visceral aspects of our sport to cut through and have people actually go right go run to one with us whether it be social media or direct consumer products whatever that might be so there's, I think we benefit, but we also have to continue to watch and monitor what's going on in the world. I mean, um, in your um, home place, Dan, or former home place, I mean, America has a, a storied history in this sport back in the late 70s, 80s, 90s. It was kind of the place where the, the cream of the cream used to come from. But recently, I guess you could say it's not been quite so kind, um, you know, in terms of attendance figures and maybe viewing figures as well have not been the strongest there. I mean, is, is growing the American market key to MotoGP? Yeah. Very key because it's not only that, you know, the, the easy thing is Americans are going to love this. I just know they will. I, I've got, again, I, you might have seen them in Austin. I've got a 13 year old and a 17 year old who I can just, I've got a good focus group and proof that they're going to love this. But so, yeah, it is key because it's also the media mouthpiece in a lot of ways. America, look at Hollywood. You know, Hollywood dictates a lot of things that people say out in the world, right? It's a lot of things that people, like traits and trends are dictated by Hollywood and Manhattan, right? So we have to be there. Um, but we also just want to be uniquely MotoGP, right? We don't want to, we want to, <laughs> this is going to sound so cheesy. We want to be loved for who we are. We don't want to, we don't want to be loved for something that we're not. And I think that's a real important thing. That's when you have to hang on to your identity, really, then, isn't it? Because what's nothing like, look at the, you guys have been, you guys are around this one, and I can't, I can't. The show, you know, there's a little bit of unknown coming into this job. I mean, I didn't know what I had. I didn't know the sport. I did a good amount of research. But it's, gosh, I'd have been, if I, and I, we have some improvements we have to do on the commercial side in terms of our 
organization, in terms of our, you know, pace, in terms of a lot of things. But that's all stuff that I'm pretty comfortable with. If I thought I had to, if we had to work and fix the sport, that would have been a whole different kind of. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong. There's sure there's imperfections. Gosh, the sport's great, so I feel really good about it. One thing that American sports do so well is celebrate what they are, and particularly <sighs> their history. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I think maybe that's something MotoGP can do better. You know, we're in the 75th year it's going to be the 75th season next year 75th anniversary yeah. next year yeah I mean you know celebrating the heritage and the history of the sport maybe is something where Donna you know could really I love know, it. Yeah, crank I it up we're definitely talking about if you look at the pictures on my wall I mean I've got some celebrating some, some history as well too and I've spent some time with Giacomo D'Agostini which I think is great I think that's a, a key part of it as well so definitely in the works it's not just a I think people the, the, the real interesting point of that though is how do you you have to celebrate the history which is going to be known by a lot of the core fans, and they're going to want it. It's going to resonate with them, but you also have to present the history in a very elementary way to explain it to the new fans. So there's a, but it could be a crucial part of that. Yes. Dan, one of the things you said in Austin was the difficulty facing yeah, attracting new fans in America is not just having a successful race there. It's kind of being a, a constant presence there. Correct. It can't just be one race one year, and then we wait for the MotoGP the next year. How do you address that? Well, it's, I mean, it's just, it's not easy, but it's the, the, the thought process is easy. It's like, what do we, there's a lot, the great thing about our sport and about the media landscape is that digital media is every second of every day for some people. So we have to fill that void with content. Um, we have to look for partners who are going to expose us in the right way. Um, I can't build a circuit overnight in America to have another race there, but we had to work with partners about developing circuits and seeing how we get there. So yeah, it's just not a, it's not forgetting about it in turn. And also, I should have said this before, Americans don't need it to be, they don't need something to be customized to them. They really don't. I mean, the Premier League, look at the Premier League. The Premier League is so successful. And it wasn't like they, the Premier League changed who they were for the American audience. They just used a broadcast partner to really, bring out the great things about it and I think it's a good success story all we have to do is continue to expose it to a wider audience and do it smartly and do it consistently consistently and there's we're working on that too like it's probably higher than 127 on my list sorry for the slight array of questions no, but, please. Um, you know there's a sort of school of thought in the moment of MotoGP that the lack of predictability is almost hurting it in a way that, you know, you see something like Verstappen doing well in, in Formula One and, and people are drawn to it and they admire it because it's a superior entity. Um, MotoGP has world-class riders, but doesn't have one rider at the moment dominating things. Um, there's, you know, you can see the fallacy of that, but then also you can see maybe people getting confused because they don't know who to identify as the the uh, Tiger Woods or the Michael Jordan or yeah. pick, a, pick a name. Yeah, no, that's, listen, ongoing dilemma, right? An ongoing dilemma in this world is do you want parity or do you want domination? You probably want a mix of both. I mean, American sports think about this all the time. I mean, is it good for the Bundesliga that Brian Munich's won? How many years in a row has Bayern Munich won the title in the Bundesliga? A lot. I yeah, 11 or 12. Or yes, a lot. Right? Man City's got officially a stranglehold on the Premier League, even though, you know, Arsenal gave them a little bit of a fight this year, but they pretty much, so there's dominance there. Parity is an interesting thing, but, you know, there's also this, you know, Michael Jordan used to, used to command 40% rating increases when he was, when he was being televised in the late, not late 80s, early 90s. Like, that's a significant thing. Just, and people, for, cause they loved him or they hated him. So listen, 
the great thing that I think we have is like there's an uncertainty for our results, but there is an excellence to our product. The uncertainty of the results is awesome because listen, you don't know until the end what's going to happen, right? And Max Verstappen, yeah, he's a beast, right? He's a beast. I mean, Mercedes was crawling about being second and third last week, but he still beat him by 20-something seconds. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, I, I think we'd like to have, we've had 11 people on the grid this year, on the podium this year. That's pretty great. And then when it comes to the Premier League, can we not talk about that anymore? Because Neil's a Liverpool fan <laughs> and it's not. it's been a tough season. So for my the... boys are Manchester United fans, so. <laughs> we can still get along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, so they're rooting very hard for Inter Milan today. Yeah, yeah me too, me too. Yeah. Um, Dan, we're obviously speaking at Mugello uh, a month on from Le Mans where we had a record attendance over the weekend. Um, we've spoken on the podcast before about things that Le Mans do, right? What could you see that they were doing well to kind of create this... Yeah, festival, festival kind of atmosphere. That's you, you. You just answered your own question. They created. A, they created a festival. Where there are things going on at every day, every second. They also did really aggressive pricing. They also allowed children in with a company with an adult for free up until fifteen years of age, which was huge because all of a sudden parents could go and not have to worry about leaving their kids, and which is great. They brought them in and also exposed a younger generation to the sport. So yeah, all those things, right? You know, all those things, and we would we really need the circuits to start and really be aggressive marketers. But we also have really great stories, like Soxering and Assen are going to be sold out this year and next. So you know, Misano's in a really good position, Silverstone's in a really good position, Austria's going to be one wonderful. So we have to just and listen, Mugello is, it's like it's like somebody dropped a somebody dropped a circuit in the middle of heaven to me. It's just a gorgeous place and. Um, I think that obviously they had the heyday years with Valentino and now we have to work a little bit to get that back to where it was. And well, just one final thing. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, you've obviously come from the NBA where I think it's a pretty intense scheduling throughout the season, 82 games, if I'm not mistaken, in a season. Are you, do you think that MotoGP is at the right level in terms of pacing, how the calendar is paced through the year 2021 events? Is that, is that not enough? Is that too many? Uh, is that just about right and how it's paced through the year? Do you think? Oh, it's interesting. You know, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I know enough yet to make a really educated guess on that. And I think that Carlos Espeleta works so darn hard on it that, uh, he's really trying to get that right. And we're constant talk with the teams about that. I think it's, I think it's good in terms of, um, there's breaks and things like that. But I also, from a commercial standpoint, I have to think about what we do in those breaks. Like we've got five weeks from Aston to Silverstone. What are we doing for those five weeks? And we're going to go to the, Festival Speed, Goodwood, which is great. But boy, what are we doing from Valencia to the tests? What are we doing to keep people top of mind? So, like, yes, I understand that we can't race 52 weeks a year, but and maybe 20s, I think 2021 is probably the right number. But it's upon, it's incumbent upon us then to fill the voids commercially with a pen, public relation-wise, with stories, and whether it be historical or about today's riders. Like, it's just on us to do that. So... We can't be a 20-week-a-year sport. We've got to be a 52-week sport that races 20 or 21 weeks a year. That makes sense. Just one more from me. Yeah, Dora yeah. headquartered in Madrid, of course. Yeah. How have you found um, the whole motorcycling culture in Spain? Because if you come from a place, or uh, even like for us in the UK, I mean, it's... Uh, I was knocked off my... Uh, astonished by Jerez, by the, all the bikes coming down in Jerez. I was just... I mean, I think um, uh, Chicanello sent us a video of him driving in and all the bike and it was just, I was like what the heck is going on so to me it's a it's a fascinating thing it was really I, I loved it I really did so uh, I think it's cool I mean I, I, I my wife and I have a pack that we'll never get on a bike but uh, you know we'll figure that out thanks, thanks, thanks guys time. appreciate it yeah, thanks appreciate, your time. appreciate it